as I was thinking through um, what to do during Advent season. I've been here for 15 years, so 15 Christmas seasons. So don't you run out of Christmas things to preach after 15 years? That's the question. It's like, it's the same story, right? It's the same story. So what, what do we do with that? And so, you know, when we're preaching through the Old Testament right now, started in Genesis, so when we were in Exodus, it's like, hey, we got... The tabernacle, we'll, we'll just focus on the tabernacle, that would be great, and we can do a whole series. And then, you know, what do you do in Leviticus? Like, leprosy? Like, I don't know what to do with that. And then you get to numbers, and it's like, I could do another series on grumbling, because that's all they're doing, right? So I kind of go through it, and what do we do for Advent? And as I was thinking through this, it was just this reality check that... All of what we're studying in the Old Testament is pointing forward to something. And we have to constantly be reminded of that. That everything, every bit of it is a shadow, is a, is a foreshadowing of Christ coming. That every, everything is pointing forward to Jesus. And so it makes total sense for us to look forward, to spend this few weeks looking forward in the Bible to where these prophecies and these shadows are finding their fulfillment in Christ. And so for the next few weeks I wanted to do that, but I want to do it with this sort of mentality. People in the Bible tended to think of themselves as a pretty big deal. I don't know if you've noticed that about them, right? So like Moses is like, you know, Pharaoh's adopted grandson. So he's like, I'm a big deal, right? You, you got you got all these people thinking, hey, we're a pretty big deal. Like, I don't know, David thought he was a pretty big deal. And they are all part of the story. And, and Peter, at one point, thought he was a pretty big deal. Right, you got all these people, and they're like, we're a pretty big deal. And if you talk to them today, they would say they're not a big deal. But we kind of look at the Bible, and we're like, their, Bible, their name's in the Bible. They've got to be a pretty big deal. Right, they, like, I'm not written in the Bible, but their names are in the Bible. They've got to be a pretty big deal. And, and here we have all of these characters, Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the wise men. And we come to this, this idea that this Christmas story is such a big, wonderful story. And I don't want us to lose the wonder of it. It is wonderful. God coming in the flesh is a pretty amazing thing. But it's a very ordinary family who only because God was working became extraordinary. It's a very ordinary place that only because God's plan was extraordinary became extraordinary. It's a very ordinary people. In fact, God himself says of the Israelites, there was nothing special about you. I didn't choose you because you were big. I didn't choose you because you were great. In fact, you were small and piddly, and I chose you because I love you. And so when I, when I think about the characters of Christmas, and we all have in our minds characters of Christmas, how many of you have a, a nativity scene out already? Anybody have a nativity scene out? Uh, so my mom collected nativity scenes. Um, she also collected spoons. For some reason, before she died, she started divvying out all this stuff to all of us, and she was like, she thought we all would want the spoons. And I still don't <laughs> understand that, but she was very disappointed that none of us wanted her spoon collection. Um, so what am I going to do with all these spoons? You should have thought about that when you bought them, Mom. But that was kind of what we said. Like, why would we want your spoon collection? Um, so I do not have any of my mom's spoons. However, we did divvy up all of her uh all of her nativity scenes. And by divvy up, I mean we took whole sets. We didn't like, <laughs> like interchange the pieces. We didn't do that. But my mom had all of these uh, nativity scenes from all over the world, but there was always the one under the tree that the kids could play with. 
I don't know if, if your home was like that, where you had a nativity scene where you actually played with the pieces. Maybe you imagined you were a shepherd. Maybe you imagined you were a wise man. Maybe you imagined you were Mary or Joseph. Uh, hopefully you never imagined you were baby Jesus. That's sacrilege, so we don't do that, right? But maybe you put yourself into the story. It's kind of what we need to do. We need to put ourselves into the story. And that, that's what God does in his word is he, he takes his people from where they are and he transplants them into a redemptive plan and a redemptive story. Weaves them into a tapestry of how he's working to accomplish all of his purposes. And he reminds them at every turn through Moses, through David, through the prophets that you're a part of the story. You're not the story. Is it, that, that kind of is a difficult thing for us. This is what I want us to remember. We're part of the story. We're part of the Christmas story. We're part of the Advent story. We're part of God's redemptive plan story. We're not the story, though. And we have a hard time with that, especially as American Christians. Just plain as Americans. We have a hard time not being the story, don't we? We have a hard time for, like, with the idea that we're not the point. From, from a young age, we're told how special we are. How important we are. If you had parents who loved you, that's the way they talked to you. If you had parents who really loved you, they told you how you weren't really that special. <laughs> all right. No, we've got all the bumper stickers, don't we? Telling everybody how special our kids are. And it's good. We should tell our kids how important they are and how special they are within reason. When it comes to God's grand redemptive plan, we play a role. God has decided to weave us in, decided to weave us into that plan. But he, he, he's made Jesus the plan. Jesus is the one who came to accomplish this. And so I want us to visit these characters that we probably know so well, but maybe have lost a little bit of the, the wonder and amazement that God would use that person, that God would use those people, that God would do that in that place, and be reminded that in the characters of Christmas, Jesus was taking the ordinary and making it extraordinary. Jesus was working the miraculous through the mundane. The Jesus was revealed as the king of kings among the people who wanted a different king. And from the beginning, God has been planning this out. So as we enter this Advent season, as we push towards Christmas, I just want to spend a few weeks looking at how the whole storyline of Scripture, how every symbol, every prophecy, every character, every story finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And so the characters of Christmas really are all about pointing us to Jesus. So we're going to walk through various scriptures, look at various characters in the storyline of the coming of Christ. And as we do that, I want you to see a few overarching realities that I think will color everything. And my hope is that it'll cover even, it'll start to color even your own family celebrations this Christmas season. As we look at truths that the Bible tells us very clearly in the narrative of God's redemptive work for his people. And the first is this. God made promises of a redeemer from the beginning. So the idea that Jesus came in Bethlehem on this one starry night that was evidently silent, even though there were lots of people, which I never quite understood, right? There's tons of people, no room in the inn, lots of animals, but totally silent. Um, it wasn't silent. Just so you know, but it's kind of we kind of picture this picturesque reality, right? Jesus shows up and it's like, wow, the issue is God had been preparing this and planning this and promising this since the beginning. So what happened on that night was a surprise to everybody there, but not God. 
Because God had been promising that a redeemer would come all the way from the beginning. He started in Genesis chapter 3 promising that a redeemer was going to come. From the time of Adam and Eve, there was going to be a hope of a redeemer who would come. So when Adam and Eve sinned and God came among them and said, Hey, serpent, this is what's going to happen to you because of this sin. This is the curse on you. All creation is going to be under a curse of sin and death. Adam and Eve, here's your curse because of sin and death. This is what God said to the serpent in Genesis chapter 3. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman. Did you catch that? There's not, I'm not going to put enmity between you and me, because there already was enmity between him and the serpent. Okay, So I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You're going to strike him and he's going to crush you. From the beginning, God is saying to the serpent, here's what's going to happen. One day you're going to get crushed. And it's going to be the seed of that woman. It's going to be the offspring of that woman. The one who was a sinner. The one who is now separated from God and his good plan. The one who is now having to be banished from the Garden of Eden. The one who would not live forever Without the grace of the Lord, (laughs) the offspring of that woman would crush his head one day. So from the beginning, the promises of a redeemer are given. I want you to think about that just for a second. Is it interesting how what we read earlier that this savior who would come would be born of the woman? It's almost as if God planned this from the beginning and knew that he was going to work through a woman in order to have a savior who would come and save his people from the sins they committed, even in the garden. God has been making promises from the beginning, and he's been keeping them. And this promise was of a redeemer. Second truth that overarches everything is that God gave his people shadows of the Savior who would come. So he didn't just promise that this Savior, this redeemer was coming. He kept giving pictures of it. So if you've ever watched like a crime drama or something like that, don't watch them with me, because when you watch them with me, I'm always looking. So there, there have been movies where I know the actors' names, and like if there's one actor that I see in the credits at the beginning, and he doesn't show up in the first five minutes of the movie, then I know he did it. There's a little secret to all movies everywhere, okay? Like if he doesn't show up, and you know that, I know that, he's like a real actor. Like he's not, like, where is he? All of a sudden, he shows up, you're like, ah, the killer. He's the guy who did it. Right. So you can watch like Criminal Minds. You can watch all of these movies, movies and shows, and you begin to pick out these clues, these foreshadowings. Right. It's the it's a horror movie. I'm not saying go watch a horror movie, but every time somebody leaves a room, I'll be right back. No, you won't. (laughs) Like it's all the foreshadowing that happens in movies. That's what's happening here all throughout the Old Testament, foreshadowing of what's going to come. God giving nuggets of realities that would be fulfilled in the savior who was coming so think about all of the characters of the redemptive story there would always be a better moses so moses was great but there was going to be a better moses a better lawgiver who would keep the law unlike moses right a better exodus leader out of slavery and bondage into Life, the one who would actually get into the promised land and go prepare a place for us. You you with me? 
So we have a shadow, Jesus being the fulfillment. There's always going to be a better David, you know, not a murderer. Okay? And, and yet king. There's always going to be a better Jonah who is willing to enter into dark, who goes into darkness, not, not, not because he's running from his responsibility, but because he goes into the belly of death because he is doing his responsibility. And three days later would find life. Over and over and over again, every story in the Old Testament pointing to, every character pointing to a better reality, a fulfillment in Jesus. There are symbols used in worship. We've been studying about these. Everything in the tabernacle seems to point to a greater reality found in Jesus. The tabernacle itself reminding us that God's desire and design is to dwell among his people. There's a permanent structure built when they get to Jerusalem when Solomon builds the temple. This is supposed to be a permanent structure of God's presence with his people, all pointing forward to the day that what John's gospel will tell us is that the word became flesh and tabernacled, dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. The, the, the high priest Aaron that we've been reading about pointing to the fact that there would be a greater priest one day who wouldn't need sacrifices to be made on his behalf before he could make sacrifices for the people. A greater high priest who wouldn't have idiot sons who would offer strange fire. A greater high priest in the person of Jesus. The sacrifices, the festivals, they all point forward to a day when the promised Messiah would make peace between God and man. That's what Colossians chapter 2 tells us very plainly. These, even talking about the festivals and feast days, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. God is so faithful to his promises and to his people that he doesn't just make a one-off promise. He keeps showing them, I'm telling you, I'm going to do this. I'm telling you, I'm gonna, be ready. I'm going to do this. In fact, I'm going to get you prepared. You're going to know that, that that Savior, when he's hanging on the cross, is, is a better lamb sacrificed on your behalf. That, you know, th- those disciples who hear their Savior praying in the garden, a high priestly prayer, should have known he's a better high priest than the high priest down there at the temple. So he's preparing. He's giving them all kinds of shadows to look forward to the fulfillment in Jesus. So all the purposes, the plans of God are beginning to unfold for his people. And as they do, God would speak to his people. Not only would he give them shadows through characters and through symbols, but he would actually speak to them through prophets. And God's prophets would foretold or foretell all that God wanted to be known. So God's prophets foretold the promises of God that would be found in a coming Redeemer. So I want you to think about this. We tend to think of prophecy as more like palm reading, future telling. That's not really what most prophecy was in the Bible. Most prophecy in the Bible was, thus saith the Lord. It wasn't a prophet going, I see a dream and a vision. I'm going to try to interpret that for you. It's more God speaking in visions and dreams to people and saying, now tell the people this. It's not unlike what's been happening in the book of Numbers. And the Lord said to Moses, say to the people. 
And that's what's happening all throughout the prophets is God is speaking through his prophets so that they would know not just a a current hope, but a future greater hope. So we're going to dive into that a little bit more today, because what we want to see is in all of the promises God was giving through the prophets is that Jesus becomes the fulfillment of all of God's promises to his people. Jesus himself is the fulfillment and And so I want you to turn to Matthew's gospel, Matthew's gospel. And Matthew's gospel is written by a Jewish believer for his countrymen. It's a Jew writing to Jews. It's a Israelite writing to Israelites. It's a person of the law writing to people of the law. It's a person who understands the Old Testament, who can look back on all that was promised and wants to reveal those things under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these things. It's a gospel written to show all of the prophecies are fulfilled. And so if you were to boil down Matthew's gospel to, this, to a truth, it would be this. Jesus is the promised Messiah, the anointed one, God with his people, God in the flesh. That's Matthew. Matthew wants the people, his countrymen, to understand that all they'd been waiting for, all they'd been promised by God through the prophets was fulfilled in Jesus. They didn't have to keep looking. They didn't have to look anywhere else. They needed to look at Jesus. And so today, I want you, I want us, just like Matthew was doing for his people, I want us to come to Matthew's gospel and to see that Jesus is the fulfillment of all that God has promised. So when we've read in the Old Testament about a sacrificial system, we go, that, why don't we do that anymore? And we don't do it anymore because Jesus has fulfilled it. Hey, why don't we do all the festivals anymore? Well, it's not wrong to do the festivals. I like festivals. I like feast days. We do Thanksgiving. I'm all for it, right? It's fine to do festivals and feast days, but we don't have to do festivals and feast days. Why? Because Jesus is the fulfillment of them and we have Jesus, right? We, we don't have to, we don't have to have a mediator like a priest, To get us into the presence of God. Why? Because Jesus is our great high priest and he's fulfilled that role. And so I want you to see in the gospel of Matthew, this truth that all that God had promised to the people of God was fulfilled in Jesus. It's what we read earlier, Galatians chapter 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. God had been preparing to accomplish his purpose. Can you put that verse up there, right back up there for just a second? I want you to see this for just a second. Look at this. When the fullness of time had come. What that means is very simply, when God's perfect timing arrived. Okay? When God's perfect timing arrived. When all that God had been preparing was accomplished and ready, God sent forth his son, born how? Of a woman, just like Genesis chapter 3. Under the law. Why? To redeem all the people who are trapped under the law. To redeem the people who are trapped under that law. Why? Because he's the one who could keep the law and he's the one who could redeem people that had sinned under the law. Jesus becomes not only the great high priest, but the sacrifice for sin. He's the one who accomplishes all of us so that we now can be called the sons and daughters of God. So I want you to begin to understand That Jesus was not plan B. Bethlehem was not plan B. Mary and Joseph were not plan B. This was God's plan from the beginning. And it's good news that God's perfect timing accomplished God's perfect plan. 
Because Jesus is the perfect Savior King who came to us at the perfect time to make his people perfect and holy as he is holy. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. This is what we prepare for in Advent is to remind ourselves that God's perfect timing with God's perfect son is the celebration of Christmas. So look at Matthew's gospel with me. Look at verse 1 of chapter 1. Right from the beginning, we see prophecy fulfilled. We see that God had been preparing his people for the arrival of the Messiah, Jesus. So here's Matthew. There are two people you can look back on as people um, in Israel that if you were looking for a Messiah, you'd be looking at Abraham and David. Those would be the two guys you're going to look back at. Abraham, the father of the people, David, the king of the people. And so he starts right here in Matthew 1, 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And just by way of clarification, for those who may not know or may have forgotten, Christ is not Jesus's last name. Okay, and I know that sounds silly, but I don't think we understand that sometimes. Christ is the title given to Jesus, and the title means this, Messiah. Christ is the Greek equivalent of the Old Testament Messiah, the Hebrew word Messiah. So here's what Matthew is saying. The book of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. And he's saying that to a group of Jews who are doubting whether Jesus is the Messiah. And he's saying, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. If you were writing a genealogy, you would say, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the son of Joseph. Right? That's not what he does. He says, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. I want you to know that he's the Messiah, and this is where we start. He is the son of David, the son of Abraham. Once again, if you were writing a genealogy... Which one would you start with, David or Abraham? Abraham, he's first, right? But where does he start? He starts with David. Why? Because the people were waiting for a king. And he says he is of the tribe of David, of the tribe of Benjamin. He, he comes from David. He is the son of David. And in this simple statement and the following genealogy, God shows through Matthew that Jesus is the fulfillment of this promise of a redeemer who's coming. So let me just help you see this real quick. First of all, he shows us that Jesus is the promised blessing for all nations, not just Israel, but all nations. By saying he's the son of Abraham, he's saying, yes, he's fully Jewish. He is one of you, but he is the fulfillment of what was promised to Abraham all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. And this is what the word of the Lord says. God said to Abraham, I will make of you a great nation. When Abraham was, had, was old and had no kids, he said, I'm going to make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. And this is the beginning of that. This is the fulfillment of that. This is how God is going to accomplish that is through Jesus. So here's what I want you to hear. If you're, if you were a Jew reading this and most of us in this room are not ethnic Jews. So that wouldn't apply to us. We wouldn't sit here and go, oh, the Messiah is here because we weren't waiting for a Messiah. We were lost. We were Gentiles. We were out there in the world. Here's what he's telling us. In Abraham's promise that God gave him, 
God was saying all the nations will be blessed. All the families of the earth will be blessed. And he's accomplished that in Jesus. That's good news for us. That's good news for us. It's good news that he's the son of Abraham because the son of Abraham would be the one who would be a blessing to all the nations. That's us. But he's also the king that's been promised. Jesus is the promised eternal king. In Jeremiah chapter 23, the prophet is told this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. You see, Jesus is also the promised eternal king, the son of David. David was promised that his line would never end. The problem is his line ended. But did it? Because there's still one who's sitting on a throne forever and ever and ever. And his name is Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises that were made. Another promise that God made is that he would dwell with his people. And Jesus is the promised fulfillment of God dwelling with his people. Since the times of the Exodus, God had promised that his purpose was to dwell among his people as their God and king. His tabernacle was a dwelling place, his temple in Jerusalem, a dwelling place among his people. And in Jesus Christ, we're told that God dwelt with his people. And Matthew chapter 1 makes that clear as well. Look at verse 20, Matthew chapter 1. This is the story where Joseph now finds out that Mary is pregnant, right? And they're betrothed, but he's like, I didn't do that. So who did that? So the assumption is Mary's been unfaithful. But an angel comes to Joseph to say, no, Mary's been faithful, but so has God. It's not that Mary hasn't been unfaithful, right? It's that God has been faithful, and this is what... He's told, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David. Huh, interesting. Do, I'm just going to do that every once in a while to make sure you see it, right? <laughs> Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's literally what the name Jesus means, is Savior. All this took place to do what? To fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Here, an angel reassures Joseph of God's faithfulness and Mary's faithfulness. And he's reassured that God has done something miraculous. And it's a way, it's a supernatural it's a supernatural promise being fulfilled here because Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The sign that the Messiah is coming is this, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And the angel comes along and says, it's happened. And the baby that's going to be born is the fulfillment of what was promised. Now imagine... Joseph in this moment, and we're talking more about Joseph next week, but imagine Joseph for just a moment. If your buddy showed up to tell you, hey, don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah, she's still a virgin. The Holy Spirit took care of that. Like, that's just a prank, like a weird prank, right? But when you have a dream and an angel shows up, you tend to believe it. 
right? God's speaking. And when you, when you have a promise, you can look back and say, oh, that's right. Isaiah did say that was going to happen, right? Oh, we are told that that's going to happen. And it's happening now. And God, what grace, what mercy, what? And he is driven to worship the Lord and to trust the Lord in the middle of this. Jesus is the fulfillment of God with us, Emmanuel. And the promised sign is this virgin giving birth to Emmanuel, God in the flesh, Savior, saving his people from their sins. No longer would sacrifice be necessary for the people of God to come into the presence of God because God would be with them. No longer would lambs and bulls make the way for God's people to dwell with God. No, now God would come to his people and save them from their sins and forever dwell with his people. The, the prophecy fulfillment continues, and you see this phrase repeated over and over. This was to fulfill what the prophet had written. This was to fulfill what was said through the prophet over and over and over again. Look at Matthew chapter 2. The beginning of Matthew chapter 2 is a fulfillment of Micah chapter 5. The prophet Micah tells us what's going to happen, where the Savior is going to be born. And so here you have kings showing up to worship, these wise men coming to worship the baby born because they saw a star and they come to the current king Herod and tell him in verse one, Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Obviously Herod doesn't like that for we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with them and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people. So all the people who knew what the prophets had written you see that? He grabbed everybody who would know what the prophets had written. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born, where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Jesus is the fulfillment of Micah chapter 5. Jesus is the fulfillment of Hosea 11. When was the last time you read Hosea 11? Right? Joseph and Mary, after the kings come and visit, the wise men come and visit, they're visited in a dream that say, don't go back to Herod and tell him where the baby is because he wants to do harm to the baby. So they go back a different way. Herod finds out that he's been tricked, and this is what it says. Verse 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, take the child and his mother. So the kings leave a different way and an angel comes to Joseph and says, you guys need to get out of here. Flee to Egypt. Remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. That just seems like a really smart move. But why did it happen? Why did it happen? This was what? Anybody see it? To fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, I called my son. God keeps calling people out of Egypt, doesn't he? He called his people out of Egypt. So just think about this for a second. The millions leaving Egypt on the Exodus are a shadow of the Savior who was coming. Moses leading the people. The shadow of Jesus being called out of Egypt. This is what God is accomplishing. For me, I read this and the wonder increases. I don't sit here and go, well, that's minutia I never thought about before. No, I go, what? What? Like, this is what God was doing all along? 
For thousands of years, he's been accomplishing, perfecting the time that Jesus would come to be among his people. Even Herod himself is a, a tool being used by God here. Jeremiah 31, 15 is, is fulfilled in Matthew chapter 2. Look at verse 16. Herod, when he saw that he had been, he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. We're going to talk about Herod in a couple of weeks. He's the most interesting person in this whole story in my mind. Like one of the most interesting characters. He became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all that region who were two years older under according to the time that he asked, he had ascertained for the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Over and over and over again, Matthew is showing us through this phrase, this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, that God was always preparing the way for his Messiah, King Jesus. But after all the prophecy, after all of these prophets had spoken, God was silent for about 400 years. No more prophets speaking. Up until the birth of Jesus, up until an aging high priest... And his barren wife get a visit from an angel to say that she's going to have a child that we know as John the Baptist. We're not hearing anything from the Lord of what's coming, but he would be himself a fulfillment of prophecy. John, who would prepare the way of the Lord, the last of the pre-Christ prophets, the one who would come before Jesus' earthly ministry, the greatest of all the pre-Christ prophets. It's a fulfillment of Isaiah 40 and Malachi chapter, Malachi chapter 3. And this is what Matthew chapter 3 tells us about John. In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by who? By the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. So why, why am I telling you all of this? To remind us. Of this, that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises to his people. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises to his people. So it's in him that you and I today can find all of God's promises fulfilled. It's in him and only him that we can find peace with God. It's in him and only him that we can find eternal life. It's in him and only him that we can find forgiveness for our sins. It's in him and only him that we can find eternal purpose for our lives because we all want those things. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. The question is, were they ready for the light? But everything finds us, all the promises of God find their, their fulfillment in Jesus. This is what 2 Corinthians 1 tells us. All the promises of God find their yes in him, their yes in Christ. That's why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. It's what J.I. Packer says Christmas is all about. The Christmas message is that there is hope, hope for a ruined humanity. That without Christ, there is no hope. There's a hope of pardon, a hope of peace with God, a hope of glory. Because at the Father's will, Jesus became poor. Was born in a stable so that 30 years later he might hang on a cross. I want you to, I want you to remember this. 
The world was surprised by Christmas. At least a small group of people. Think about this for a second. There weren't a whole lot of people that even noticed Jesus was born. Until about two years later. Think about that for just a second. There's a group of shepherds. There's Mary and Joseph, probably an innkeeper who had no idea what was going on. Right? It's not many people who have any idea that Jesus is the Messiah. Two years later, everybody's like, oh, this is a problem. So I want you to consider that for just a second. There's a whole lot of people in the story at this point who have no idea that hope has come. They're still looking for hope. They were still looking for to be made right with God. They were still looking for eternal life. They're still looking for purpose and joy. They're still looking for those things, but they're blind people in the dark without Christ. And Christ comes to fulfill all of these truths and God had been preparing all along through his prophets. He had been preparing his people for the coming of the Messiah King. The issue was going to be, were they going to be ready? God was preparing his people through his prophets for this coming Messiah. But would they be ready? Well, in a couple of weeks we're going to find out, of course they weren't. Why weren't they ready? They weren't ready because they didn't... Listen, they weren't paying attention. People weren't reminding them. You see, God's design was that parents would be reminding their children that a Messiah was coming, that the promises would be kept. It seems that at some point that just stopped happening, that the high priest, the priest would be telling the people, the scribes would be teaching the people. Did you notice what happened when the king came and said, hey, Tell me about this Messiah so I can make sure um, take care of this. This is the problem. I said, sure, we can tell you where he's going to be born. It sold out. Because they stopped looking. They stopped hoping. They stopped longing for the kingdom of God to come. And now, now, to be honest with you, there are only two types of people. Only two types of people in the whole world. There are those who believe that hope has come in the person of Jesus Christ, and there are those who are hopeless. That's it. Those are the only two types of people. There are those who have hope for the future, the hope of glory, and those who have no real hope for eternity. That's it. There are those who believe that Christ has come and is coming again, And there are those who are still waiting for hope. Think how dismal an existence it is to wait for hope. To hope for hope? That's how hopeless people are without Christ. They don't have hope. They're hoping that someday they might have hope. This is what it looks like to be lost. But we as God's people, we have hope. We have hope that he has come and he's coming again. So what does all this mean? What all this means is this. The same God who made promises through the whole Old Testament and kept them in Jesus is the same God who has made promises to us that Jesus is returning. So is he coming back? (laughs) 
That's the question we have to ask ourselves. Is he coming back? Do we believe he's coming back? Because people who have hope in Jesus and believe that he is the Messiah who has come are also the people who must believe that he also said he will come again. So do we live as those who have hope that that's true? And the question is, when he shows up, will we be ready? Will we be ready? Philippians chapter 3 tells us this, that God's people now wait for Jesus to return and to be revealed as preeminent because our citizenship is in heaven. From it, we await a Savior. We await a Savior. Are you waiting? Or are you just going about your business? The signs are there, right? The promises are there. The shadows are there. All the foreshadowing is happening. We happily go about our business as if it's not happening. We await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to be subject to subject all things to himself. We are a people who are meant to be waiting again for the king. And while all the prophets of the Old Testament pointed forward to the coming Messiah, the one who would come as a lamb slain for his people, today we as God's people await the appearing of our Savior, the promised return of Jesus. This is what Hebrews chapter 9 tells us. Just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. I want you to catch that last phrase. Who's he coming for? Those who are eagerly waiting for him. I just wonder, are we so bought into the world that if Jesus showed up, it would be inconvenient? Or would we notice? This is what we need to come to terms with, that we're not the main character in the story. Jesus is. And as the people of God, we must wait. Faithfully, trusting, patiently, laboring to prepare the way for the Lord. See, we talk about the prophets of the Old Testament. I want, I want, to, I want to make sure you understand this. We are now the prophet priests of God. We have a job to do. Here's what we say. Thus saith the Lord. That's our job. Our job is to be ambassadors of Christ, to go into the world and say, be reconciled to God through Christ. That's our job. Our job is now to prepare the way of the Lord. He's returning, so we prepare the way. How do we prepare the way? We tell others. We go into a lost world. We go into a world of darkness, and we tell them the light has come to be ambassadors of a kingdom and a king that lasts forever. As we get ready to sing, we're in just a moment going to sing a, a song that, while well, we've already sung Advent songs, doesn't seem to fit. I'm just going to go ahead and be honest with you. We're going to sing Tis So Sweet to trust in Jesus. And you may say, that's not a Christmas song. What are you doing, Brad? I had to give Peggy a break uh, for, from the Christmas songs. Christmas songs are not every organist's favorite songs to play. But, uh, <laughs> so I, I gave her, but no, really, I want you to think about this song for just a second. This is the song. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word. Just to Stand upon his promise and to know, anybody know the next phrase? Thus saith the Lord.
that this is the hope of Christmas. This is the hope of Advent. This is the hope of those of us who know Christ has come and is coming again. It's this, that God is bringing everything to its head. And in Christ, we're going to see all the promises fulfilled again. And this is the promise that he's not coming. He's not coming as a lamb. He's coming as a lion. And he's coming for those who eagerly await him, that he's preparing the world. And at the perfect time, Christ is going to return. He's preparing the world for the return of Christ. And this is how he's doing it. Matthew 24 tells us how he's preparing the world. I want you to catch this. This is how God is preparing the world for Christ to return. The gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Then the end will come. So let me, let me close with this thought. Okay. God prepared the world through his prophets and his people for the coming of Christ. And at the right time, at the perfect time, at the fulfillment of time, Christ came. And he's doing it again. And what he has said is, to prepare the world, you and I go out to the world and tell them that Christ has come and is coming again. That's how he's preparing the world. So I want you to think about the words we're about to sing. Okay? Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. And I want you to put yourself in the position of the person, one of the billions of people in the world. We just passed 8 billion people on the planet. One of the billions of people in the world who do not know Christ. One of the billions who have no access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want you to put yourself in the position. We can sing, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, and to know thus saith the Lord. And the rest of the world is saying... I can't come to trust in Jesus because no one has come to tell me his word. I didn't even know there was a promise because no one's ever told me, thus saith the Lord. Prepare the way of the Lord. If you do anything this Christmas, this Advent season, prepare the way of the Lord. Tell someone that Christ has come. Father, I pray that we would be a people who would believe what your word says and then live like we believe it. We pray.